Good morning, and thank you so much for coming to the podcast and listening. I wanted to real quickly just touch base, as this is obviously a strange time for us to be not gathering together when we so long to be with each other. I want to encourage you guys to not isolate yourselves, but to keep the social distance that would help. But push into your neighbors, push into your gospel communities, find ways to be the hands and the feet for the church. We are excited to see how God can redeem all that the enemy has tried to use in this time through fear. Um, We're excited to see how God can redeem even technology. So pay attention to Facebook, maybe not the Facebook fear-mongering stuff, but the Facebook redemption stuff. Pay attention to the that we can, as a church, meet the needs of each other. We will hopefully stay connected with you guys in a number of different ways. We're looking to do not just audio, but also video as well. We love you guys, and we're praying for you. Please reach out to any of the pastors if you need anything. And again, we just cannot encourage enough. This is a great opportunity for the church to shine, a great opportunity for us to show that we have a hope that is far beyond the fears of this world. We love you guys, and we look forward to seeing what God does in and through all this time. Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Well, good morning. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and dive in and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the goodness of your word, God, that you, in spite of the fact that your word is having to be shared today and heard via recording, is just a, it's just a grace that you've given us the ability to do that, God. We know that your word does not fall void. We know that your word is strong and living and active. And so, God, I pray that this would penetrate the hearts of everyone that listens. If there's someone that is, is far from you, God, I pray this would draw them closer to you. If there's someone that has been following you for a long time, God, I pray that this would drive them to not only hear knowledge, but drive them to, to live in light of that knowledge, God. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the ability to continue to be your church. And we, Lord, we ask, we ask that you be glorified in everything that we say and do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'd like to welcome you back. Last week, everyone was gone doing the Serve the City. We had people serving all over the community, doing amazing things. Thank you so much for, for being out, for taking advantage of this time to do that. And now we are back again this week, but you only get to listen to me in your smaller communities or as a family. See, it's at times like this that we can really quickly see just how fragile everything is. Our bodies, our minds, economics, but when it, when it comes to our bodies, it's not hard for any of us to see the fact, the one simple fact that over and over and over again, we are getting older and older and older. We see just how weak it is. I think about sometimes when I get out of bed, just sleeping through the night, somehow I feel like I ran a marathon just sleeping as I get older. It's, it's interesting that none of us are immune to this. Every single one of us see this, and especially with something like what's going on in our, in our community in, the, in this world today, it's just a reminder of just how susceptible and frail our bodies are. How easily we can get taken away, how things can get, how things can get destroyed in us, how we can so quickly become 
fragile. I went to the eye doctor a few weeks back and I was feeling like my eyesight was getting worse and worse and worse. I kept blaming it on the font or the lighting in the room, but I was having a hard time reading. And I went to the eye doctor and he kind of does all the tests with me and he looks at everything and he just says to me, well, Brent, good news is your eyes are fine. You're just, you're just a little tired and old. And I wanted to be like, oh yes, I am doctor and hug him because he just recognized just how tired we can get as time goes on. It just, no matter, no matter how hard or how not hard, how much we rest, we just find our, our bodies continually coming up to the expense, the full expense of what they can sustain or not sustain. And that's when we're healthy. But inevitably, we all see that our bodies are slowly breaking down, leading to an impending death. You're probably glad you didn't have to leave your house to hear this, huh? <laughs> I don't know if that was funny, but I'm assuming some of you will laugh. We've been, we've been working through chapter 15 of Resurrection, and it's a heavy, thick, and very, very incredible all that God has done in this text. I want to quick back up. At the very beginning of 1 Corinthians, chapter uh, 15, verses 1 through 11, he kind of establishes this idea of what would, what would happen if the resurrection wasn't true. What would happen if you and I didn't believe in the resurrection? He lays out all the issues and that we need to pay attention to not only that the resurrection, the gospel brings about past implications, salvation in our life. It has present implications and then also future implications as well. And then the following week after that, he talked about resurrection and, and, and what the issues of denying that would be and how Jesus is the first fruits, how Jesus was the model of resurrection for us. He he shows us what, what we can expect as his children. And then the third week, we see that it's, it's, it's established that resurrection not only made Jesus the Messiah, but also is, is, is allowing him to be the king and the priest. He quotes Psalm 110 and Psalm 8, and by doing those two messianic psalms, he, he pulls in this beautiful picture of the first Adam and the second Adam, Jesus being the second Adam established as the first reign, or as the first fruits, the reign over creation as full human, what the first Adam failed at. Basically, we saw that God's original intent for humans was to live under God's rule and to rule over the earth. What we horribly failed at, God completes in Jesus. Jesus restores God's original plan. He lives under the authority of God and rules over the world as a human. Okay, so if you would, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 49 is where we're going to be today. This is a long section of scripture. We're gonna kind of work ourselves through it. Again, not much different from the scriptures prior to this. There's not a lot of application in this text. Ultimately, we see that this is, this is gonna ultimately build to the application of verse 58, which is next week, knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. And so would you look at me? Verse 35 begins, it says this, it says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? So this is the question. This is the statement that essentially comes that after we've established all the things that saying, look, the resurrection is true. The resurrection has happened. If the resurrection didn't happen, this is all the stuff that is, that is, the, that is gonna be true about that. Kind of comes along this whole thing. The natural progression then would be, okay, if there is a resurrection, then what would this look like? How, how are dead gonna raise it? And then what, what kind of body would they come in? It's a natural question, a progression that would come. See, many saw the issue with the body and the frailty and what you and I see in our, in our mortality and the fact that we continue to break down and get weaker and weaker and weaker and that no matter what we do, no matter how well we eat, no matter how amazing we take care of our body, which is such a good thing to do to steward, ultimately we are still deteriorating. We are still getting weaker and frailer and older 
and, and going. And so many people in, in this day in Corinth were saying, well, if there's a resurrection, how is this even possible? What would our body look like? Because most of our bodies are going to, what they believed would be buried, put into the ground, decompose, be sprouted out and fed to the animals. And so our bodies have been dissipated and, and eaten across the board by, by bugs and everything else. And so just saying, how in the world does resurrection happen? And if it does happen, if you really believe it's true, then with what body does it come? And this is the question that he digs into this time. He says, this is, this is the question that makes sense. So then he starts it with a really pleasant way. He says, you foolish person. Now, really, he's literally saying, and this is very harsh. He ends this text a lot softer, but, but this is literally saying, this is like saying, stupid, wake up. Wake up, stupid. This is what he's saying. He goes on. He says, what you sow, verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of, of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. In verse 36 through 38, he, again, he, he starts this idea of a first metaphor. He brings the afterlife is not some kind of experience like a leaf necessarily where we, where we fall off a tree and then we just rot and die. But instead he says it's more like a seed that germinates and then enters into a flourishing life of color and beauty to which its previous existence is hardly capable of being compared. Again, one would understand that germination, if you're going all the way into the understanding of that, that this isn't exactly how it plays out, but the picture is what he's doing. The metaphor is what he's looking for. The idea that, that us, our bodies go into the ground like a seed and the seed needs to die, although seeds don't fully die necessarily, but they need to be broken apart to sprout into a wheat or into, into a flower. And what he's saying is, is ultimately, this is what needs to happen. Our bodies need to die. We need to die so that we can be raised with, which we'll talk about a little bit later, imperishable. And so this, this picture of, of us dying is, is really, really just a metaphor. It's him trying to come up with ways for us to understand that we are going to be changed, that we're going to be, that, we, that a seed becomes a plant or that we're, we're a version of what is to come in glory. John 12, 24, Jesus says the same thing. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See, before Christ could bear the fruit of salvation for us, he had to die. Likewise, before we can participate in the fruit of his resurrection or bear fruit in his service, we too must die. John 12, 25, just after that, Jesus says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This has been a picture since the very beginning when Jesus is speaking. The apostle Paul, inspired by God, is just restating the same thing that Jesus did. That ultimately every single believer will die. We will still die. He goes on and says essentially that this is done by, it's by what God determines. The body with which we come is, is the way that we determine. If you look at the expression has been used again before when he was talking about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. He's saying each one of us have been given a gift to which he determined. This is the language he's using here. Essentially in both places it's emphasizing the theme of God's sovereign rule over creation. That certainly has been a theme in the earlier part of this chapter, especially in verses 24 through 28, where we're told that all things will be in full submission to God once Christ's redeeming and restoring work is fully accomplished. So the seed metaphor, this idea he picks up, obviously Jesus was the first fruits. He's saying, look, this is gonna happen and you will have a body and God is gonna be the one that determines with which your body looks and how it plays out. And it's gonna be a beautiful thing. And then in verse 39, he picks up the conversation again. He goes with another metaphor. He says, for not all flesh 
is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one or the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Okay, there's a ton happening in here. He, again, he's, he's using a, another metaphor, but he's doing something really, really brilliant. He's essentially working back through the creation story of Genesis. He, he, he hits literally three different days of the creation order, but he does them in reverse order. And if we go to verses 36 through 38, it actually is four, four different days of the creation order. What he's doing is he's going back to the garden. He's saying all these things. Uh, verses 39, this idea of humans, that what will be is is uh, Genesis 1.26. And then 39b talks about the animals, which is 1.24. And then it talks about the birds, which is 1.20. And the fish, which is 1.20a. And the heavenly lights, the sun, the moon, star, which is 1.14 through 19. And so what he does is he comes back and says, uses this metaphor while kind of painting the, the picture of creation in reverse order and says that each one has a different thing. He's saying, look, just like the birds need feathers and wings to fly, just like the fish needs scales and, and the ability to breathe underwater and just like the mammals need these things, he's saying, again, each of us will have a body that is due, that works for the, for the habitat, for the place with which God places us. And he's talking specifically in this regard to what the resurrected body will need to be clothed in to live in the imperishable, to live in eternity. And so he's, he's working his way through this, showing all these different things. Like, look, you've seen a variety of things. You've seen, you've seen animals and, and different kinds of species, and we can go on and on and on. And it's, there's billions upon billions upon billions of different species and, and, and types of plants and animals in this world. And so he's saying, how hard is it to believe that God would create or do something different in the resurrection, that he could bring, bring about a new body that works in the resurrection, if, he's, if you already see so many different variances around you. And he goes into this section where he talks about the glory. And glory is one of those difficult words because we will utter it out, say it all the time, all to the glory of God. And we want to do this for the glory. The way that it's used in scripture is, is kind of different all the way along. And, and what gets really difficult in this text is he takes some of the same words in this beginning section. And we get a little bit further down in verse 40. He actually takes and uses the same word in a different way. So glory can mean um, splendor or luminescence or light. It can also mean majestic. It can mean a number of different things. Here, he hits this idea and he says, look, the, the stars and the, everything that has this glory, he goes to the, the stars and he says, the earthly, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. He's saying, look, there's, there's light in both of those. There's luminescence, there's, there's splendor in both of them. The body that we have today is still made in the image of God. It still has glory because it represents him. But the body in the resurrection, the heavenly body, is something that has glory in a different way. And he does this really brilliant idea of talking about the stars and the, and the sky and all those other things. And again, he's, he's just trying to offer different ways that things come about. If you look at the stars and we see the stars, if you looked really closely, each star has a different color. We can't see it because of the distance and where it's at, but just with the naked eye, if you look at the stars, every single star, depending upon its, its proximity to other ones and, and where it's at, are burning at different levels of color. Those display many different colors. The same thing's true of the earth and the moon. But the earth and the moon, when they, when they display the glory, the luminescence, when the light is on them, it's, it's, a, it's a reflection of the sun. 
the sun, S-U-N. The sun is reflecting them. And today, you and I walk, and we are a reflection of the sun, S-O-N, Jesus Christ. And so we get to be in the splendor. He's saying, look, our heavenly bodies, our bodies today, they reflect the sun. But when we come in his heavenly bodies, we will be of a different kind of glory, a different kind of light that is, that is far greater than even just the reflection of the sun. And then he goes into this term and he says earthly here. Now, earthly of, of dust, Paul's use of this word here differs in an important way from his use of it a little bit further down in 47 and 49. We'll get to in a second where it says translated of the earth. In, in those verses, uh, one scholar points out this way. The word Paul uses here suggests upon the earthly, a word principally of location rather than composition. While the word used in 47 through 49 is earthy, a word describing physical composition. The heavenly slash earthly dichotomy Paul finds in Genesis 1 and refers to here will be exploited in verse 47 through 49 by transitioning to a slightly different kind of earthliness in contrast with what is heavenly in the divine sense. So right here, what he's saying when he says earthly is it's just a suggestion of not necessarily our composition, but of our location. So he's saying, look, one body, we, we, right now we are of the earth. The, the heavenly body is going to be one that is of the heavens. And now we have to remind ourselves again, we did this a couple weeks ago. We talked about how heaven isn't necessarily what we maybe view it as, as where it is. It, heaven just is a term that's used in the scripture that usually predominantly means under the rule and reign of God's um sovereign reign. He's in charge. It's his throne room. So right now the heavens are a place, an invisible place that we can't be at, but ultimately that the resurrection isn't necessarily, will be some ethereal distance in a robe. We'll be here on the new heavens and the new earth, but, but a heavenly body will be a body that is fully under the control, the sovereign reign of God. And it will be a beautiful, beautiful thing because we will no longer have pain and no longer, there will be no other dominions, no sickness, no world powers, no political systems. All kingdoms will be destroyed and there will be one kingdom, that's God's kingdom. And in God's kingdom, we need to have the heavenly body and that's what's being established here in resurrection. Really what the apostle Paul's doing here is, here is he's just kind of reiterating one of the, the, the most explicit passages of bodily resurrection in the Old Testament, which is Daniel 12 verses two through three says multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth again sleep is a euphemism of death says will awake some to everlasting life others to shame and everlasting contempt those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens there it is again we'll we'll have this new glory this this luminescence on us and those who lead, lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever the old greek of verse two speaks of those who will light up like the luminaries of heaven. So we see this, this picture that we're going to have a new glory in this new body. This new body is going to be glory. Now, many people, when they're listening to it at this point, are going, okay, so, so we're going to be bright. It's going to bring glory. What, is our, what does our body really look like? When I, when I wake up and I look in the mirror, how is it going to be different? How is it going to look different? Again, we have to remember that the Apostle Paul, inspired by God here, he's, he's literally telling us about the resurrection from, from two basic experiences, what he's understood in the Old Testament, what we see from Daniel and other scriptures, but also with the fact that, that he, on that road to Damascus, got to interact with the resurrected Jesus. So he, he not only thinks it or, or looks at the theology, but he also had an opportunity to interact with the resurrected Jesus. And so verse 42 picks up. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, 
What is sown is perishable. Sown can kind of be buried is the idea here. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised in spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And so he goes on and says, ultimately, look, there's this, there's this basic layout of what we can see, the two different things that we have with our bodies. The one that is sown that we see today, that's buried in the world, the one that you and I are walking in today, the, the fragile body that's susceptible to viruses and susceptible to sickness, and, and we, we continue to need medicine to help us and supplements and, and, and diet to try and make ourselves a little bit stronger. We have to work out to kind of keep these things. Our body's continually working backwards into death. That body is corruptible. It's, it's dishonor. It's weak. It's natural. It's a body that will, that will be, um, that is perishable. It's mortal. It's going to die. And he says, but the resurrected body, what is sown in the resurrection is incorruptible. It's in honor. It has power and the body is raised and it's spiritual. And we have to, we have to talk about that word in just a second here. And so he's laying out these two lines with which we are known, who we are today versus who we are in the future. Many of us have experienced death. Death is a, is a, is a horrible thing. It's just painful and it's, it's, it's harsh and it's abrupt. And no matter how long and beautiful of a life someone has lived, it always still feels like it was too short. And he's saying that the, the body that we have, the body that we are in today, even as believers, we are, we are perishable. We are mortal. We will die. We will be buried. We will be sown. We will be buried into the ground. And ultimately, those that are in Christ, those that have submitted their lives to him, be resurrected. We'll be resurrected not just as a perishable version of ourselves, but an imperishable one. One that will not break down. One that will literally sleep if we sleep. I don't even know if that works, but we'll sleep and wake up and not feel like they ran a marathon just sleeping. One that will will be able to enjoy running and building and won't, I mean, maybe there will be sweat, but we won't, we won't feel exhaustion like we do today. We won't need days upon days to recoup our energy We'll have a healthy rhythm of Sabbath and breaking and, and, and playing and, and working and, and it'll be a beautiful thing. Our bodies will be imperishable. They won't be slowly dying or decaying. What we have in the resurrection will literally be forever. Something that's so hard for us to imagine. It goes on and says, what's sown or buried in dishonor will, will, will come in glory. So there's a, the glory here is kind of as God intended is the best way to maybe say glory. Like this is the way it was supposed to be or, or, or um, no shame. Uh, what's, what's dishonoring about death is it's humiliating. If you think about it. Death is, if you've ever had to watch someone die, it's dishonoring. And, and God acknowledged that, says, this is not what my intention was for my people. Instead, now you will die, but ultimately so that you will come out resurrected in glory, in honor. In the verse, this verse and the next, it's kind of an antithetical relationship with dishonor. It, it clearly indicates that glory it here isn't necessarily light. So he says, when you raise in light, like we just established before, the glory here is more majestic, honor, because it would be weird to say what is in dishonor would come out in splendor or light, which again is true and makes sense. But really the part that makes most sense here is to think of magnificent or splendor as well. The dishonor experienced by Christ, Paul, and every human being is a result of Adam's sin and the dishonor that sin brought on the whole human race 
and which is being overcome through Christ's redemptive work. After being sown in dishonor, the body is raised in glory. Genesis 1 suggests it as poetically expressed in Psalm 8 that God has crowned humanity with glory and honor, but humanity had lost most of its glory and would gain it again only in the resurrection. The next one he talks about here is he contrasts the perishable body as, as weak, the one that is in weakness, and then the one that is in power, the resurrected body in power. Now, again, I don't have to convince any one of us that we are getting weaker. I don't have to convince us at all because many of us feel that. We feel the weakness that comes. And he's saying that ultimately the one that comes in power will be one that is like, is full of the power that raised Christ from the dead. It's a power that, that is, is limitless. It's not, a, it's not an exhaustible resource of power. It's the power of the spirit of God. And we will have power. We will no longer be in weakness. We will, never, we will no longer feel frailty. This is a beautiful picture of what we are to become in the resurrection. He goes on in verse 44, he says this, he says, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Okay, now this is gonna be a little difficult for a second because we have to see what he's doing here. Right here, it seems like if we take spiritual to mean what most of us think of spiritual as kind of ethereal or out there, that he's, he's literally negating what he just spent a bunch of time talking about us having a physical body and us coming out of resurrection in, with a physical form. We have to look at the words and what he's saying here. The natural body is better to say or better understand that this is the soul. What is sown in Adam. Adam was, was, was given life by God. He was, he was put in. He was created by God. He's a natural body. And he has been animated by the soul. He's been powered by the soul, the human soul. When we die, when we physically die, our, our soul and our, and our physical body are separated until the resurrection where we have a new body. And in the new body, the word spiritual, again, we have to look at scripture. Spiritual almost always means animated by the Holy Spirit. So when he's saying natural slash spiritual, he's saying, look, one body is animated. We're power work. We're kind of operating out of the soul. And the other body is spiritual, is operating by the Holy Spirit. A body that is still physical, that is animated by the Holy Spirit, it's not just indwelling us, but the physical body that is fully animated in us. To live in a resurrected body is to experience a new mode of existence, life directed and empowered by the Spirit, suitable to the age to come, in a body untainted by sin and death in any sense. And so when he's saying natural slash spiritual, what he's not talking about is an ethereal body that's like gonna have robes and, and harps in, in the sky. He's saying that there's the body that came out of earth, which we're gonna see just in a second, first Adam, second Adam. He's gonna work back into that like we talked about so confusingly two weeks ago out of the Psalm 110 and Psalm 8. But he's, he's saying ultimately what it means is that the body that is in today, that you and I live in, we have a body that is, that is animated by the soul. Yes, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit as children of God. And he is, he is giving us the power to live, but ultimately our physical body, our physical, like our our physical corporeal body, that the one that we walk in and live in, the one that feels weakness today, it the entirety of our body will be animated by the Holy Spirit. Our entire body will be spiritual. And so we will have the power of this. And that's what he's talking about here. Then he goes into verse 45 and he says this, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first 
man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Again, these two words, heaven and, and dust here, probably should be adverbs, dusty and heavenly. As, verse 48, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now, Man, this is, there's a lot going on here. I'm going to try and unpack it real quickly, especially without slides, which is kind of fun. Uh, Genesis 1, 26 through 27 tells us that God created human beings in his own image. So we see that. And Genesis 5, 3 says that Adam had his children in his own likeness, in his own image. This latter verse is surely the background of Paul's statement that we have been born in the image of the earthly man. Now, Genesis 5.3, it's important we understand this. Genesis 5.3 does not suggest that Adam's descendants or us no longer reflected God's image. Instead, we see in Genesis 9.6 that humans continued to bear God's image. And in this very letter that the apostle Paul inspired by God has affirmed that man is the image and the glory of God. The image of God has not been lost, but merely tarnished. Our, our image has been tarnished or, or distorted. It does not need to be regained, but to be perfectly restored and renewed. And so what he's doing is, is he's going through this really, what seems really kind of wordy and crazy. He's saying, look, one body, one person came out of dust. We're of dustiness. There's a composition that we're in. We we're talking about this earlier. The composition that we're made is, is we're, we're kind of made out of the dust and we're in these things. The, the next man, the, the second Adam or Jesus is gonna come out of the heavenly way. It's a heavenly body. He's gonna come animated by the spirit of God. He's gonna give us a body that is not made out of this dust anymore, but instead will be animated and made out of heavenly things. So he's saying, ultimately, the first Adam was dusty. He's animated by the soul. The second Adam was heavenly. Jesus was animated by the Holy Spirit. He is under the rule and reign of God in God's presence. That's what heaven means. So the resurrected body that we have will be physical. It will be animated by the, 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 the Spirit of God and here's the thing, if you look at just the, the little bit that we saw with Jesus when he was resurrected and interacting with his disciples, we saw him appear and disappear like out of thin air, but yet they were able to touch him and he ate with them and he experienced them. So there's parts of our animated body by the spirit that we can't even fathom, but it is a physical body that has the ability to do things that we can't even imagine doing because of what we saw first Christ doing as the first fruits of resurrection. So ultimately, this is what he's getting at. He's saying, look, our bodies are gonna be imperishable. You're not gonna have to fear viruses. You're not gonna have to worry about getting old or getting weak or your eyesight diminishing or your, your, your organs continuing to, to malfunction. You're not gonna have to worry about the brokenness of broken bones or, or frailty or how we, can, how we can fall apart in this way. This is, this is all going to be different. Because the second Adam, Jesus Christ, is the resurrected body that we will have. We spend these lives in bodies that reflect Adam's state after the fall. We will spend the rest of eternity in bodies that reflect Christ, Christ's state after his resurrection from the dead. This is such a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be able to walk in power. And again, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, but to be able to, to interact with people where you don't have to wonder if they're, if they're thinking something ill of you. <laughs> where we're fully known, we all know each other and we experience each other and we love each other in a way that, that, that was the intention all along. We get a physical body that doesn't have to be broken down or, break or, or frail or weak 
or, or sown in dishonor that's just tainted and tarnished by sin. We get a body that is resurrected, a body that is imperishable, a body that is immortal. He goes on in, verse, in verses 50 and on, he talks about how flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, meaning ultimately like our bodies that we have right now are incapable of being in the kingdom of God because we live forever in a perishable state. We need to be living forever in an imperishable state. So the bodies that you and I have, we can, we can know with, with great, great comfort that ultimately, even though we get older and our eyesight gets worse or our ti- we, get, we seem to look tired or we experience weakness, that we will one day stand with Jesus in glory with a body that is, is completely imperishable, with a body that is full of power, with a body that has the ability to live and operate completely under the reign of God in the throne room with him because the new heavens and the new earth are here and we get to interact with one another. So again, as I promised each week of these, this is an application light week. I do have one small application for you guys here. And this is one, again, it's building, all of this is building to what we're gonna see at the end of this chapter that our labor is not in vain and that this makes sense. And we've been talking about how each week this means that each of us can understand something. And so I wanna just hit, especially with the time that we're in right now, I wanna hit just this, this and this alone. It's okay to weep and to grieve death. It's a sad thing. It's okay for us to be sad. It's okay for us to be um, experiencing weeping. Like even Jesus weeped over Lazarus' death. It's, this is not, it's not a bad thing, but as his church, as his children, we do not grieve as one who does not have hope, like First Thessalonians tells us. We need to push into that. Even when we think about the current situation we're in right now, even if our frail bodies were to get sick and we were to die, we know that ultimately we will be to this day in the, in the heavenly place with God, experiencing and waiting and longing for the day that we can be reunited to our resurrected bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. We do not grieve as someone that does not have hope. We do not live as someone that does not have hope. So we cannot let fear take us and control us. We cannot let the worry of whether or not we will or won't be sick destroy us and, and dictate how we live. And we must persevere. We must push into the Lord. We must, we must ask him to give us the strength to operate in this broken world, in this in-between where his kingdom has been inaugurated, where Jesus has come once and we've seen the spirit is now indwelling us, but we're longing for the day when we're not only indwelt by the spirit, but our bodies, our physical bodies are animated by the spirit in a way that we can never, ever fathom. So we can grieve death. We can even be sad about it. And, and Jesus says that even in first Thessalonians, it says grieve. It says it, the acknowledgement that we will grieve, but he's saying grieve is one who has hope knowing that the temporary death that we may feel the temporary pain that we may feel in that temporary, maybe the, for the next 50 years of our life, as our body decomposes and breaks down and gets weaker and weaker and weaker, it's still temporary in comparison to the fact that we will be resurrected in an imperishable way. We will be resurrected with Christ as his harvest since he is the first fruits. We will bear the image of Christ and no longer just the image of Adam. We will bear the image of God in the way that it was fully intended as an imperishable, immortal, powerful, spiritual being that has both a physical body and is able to do things that make no sense to us in our time and space and physics and and everything that we can understand. This is why we as a church can hope not because this world is going away. We can see that there's a way for us to steward it today. Our labor is not in vain. We'll talk about that next week. But we can see how, how living today for his purposes and his glory isn't 
just about today. It's about the fact that we are a part of a kingdom that is coming, that ultimately we can be spent, we can spend every last cell of our body for the kingdom of God because we know that there is not a single part of it that won't be reanimated by the spirit of God. We can do everything we can. We can live as ones who have hope. So as you're listening today, if you're, if you're, if you're ridden with fear, don't give in to that. Don't give in to what, what may or may not happen to this body that he has already deemed as frail and fragile and weak and mortal and perishable. Recognize that ultimately there's a way for you to live for his purposes today in spite of the fact that your body's frail, knowing that, that you can labor and you can work for his kingdom because you have hope of an imperishable, a powerful, a spiritual, a immortal body that you will be resurrected in with Jesus and all of his children. So church, let's move with hope. Let's live with hope. Let's not give in to the fear of this world. Let's be a church that, that longs to be the church without any fear of what may or may not happen because ultimately, yes, death will come, but death is destroyed like we'll find out next week. Death has no longer a sting or no longer a victory over us because of Christ and what he has done for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you, you do not leave us in this weakened state. Um, God, that this is, it may feel at times that we are alone, that we will spend our whole lives weakened and then get buried in the ground. But ultimately, God, we know as your children that we hope not in the fact that we have a long life here, but God, we hope in a fact that every single day of our life is spent for your kingdom purposes, knowing ultimately that we have an eternity with you. Father, we thank you for, for even allowing us to be a part of your kingdom here today as you inaugurated, as you began it when you came those many years ago, God. And we long for the day when you come again. We long for a day when there is no more weeping and there is no more viruses and there is no more fear other than just reverential, auto, automatic, beautiful fear of you and you alone, God, where we can walk and live and breathe in our, in our resurrected bodies that are, that are imperishable, that are immortal, that are powerful, that are, that are full of glory and honor. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.